0: It, but you know, it's interesting, yeah, someone pointed out, look around, most of the guys are wearing blue. What is up with that? Some of the ladies are too. Blue is the color of, the, it's weird. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, have you guys seen those things going around online where, where wives or kids will buy their dads or husbands shirts and they'll buy like a whole group of men's shirts and they all just show up with the same shirt? And for guys, for women, be like, you know, this, the the thing is like, oh, they're wearing the same outfit. Me, what's wrong with that? Whoa. And for guys, we're, we're like, hey, we all look the same. <laughs> it, it backfires because we don't care. Yeah, it's just so um, so um, so we're in Alliance Church, right? We're part of the Christian, but. And a lot of the biographies, they, they use some of his letters, and he was writing about his seminary experience. And while he was at seminary, he was talking about all the different, he would say probably the vast majority of them, so about 75%, was were men that were there for the very purpose of prestige. Like, they went to become pastors for the very reason of, so that people would know them. So, not because they were called, but because... It brought prestige to themselves or maybe their family. You can families would send their second son to go and be a part of monasteries or be part of the Catholic Church or something like that. Because a lot of men would go for the prestige. Well, I was talking to a pastor. Uh, this was probably about two years ago. And I was talking to this pastor. He was an older pastor. He was out in, um, uh, somewhere back east. And he moved out to the west. And we were having this conversation, and he brought up his son, and how his son was, used to be a children's pastor, and went through a lot of issues through that, and just had a horrible time, and he and he mentioned, he's like, well, you know, I think one of the reasons is because he was kind of forced into the situation by a friend of his, because he's charismatic, and he's outgoing, and, he, and his friend told him, you would make the perfect children's pastor, and so he went a part of that church, and just failed, and I told him i said well it doesn't sound like he was called and the pastor took a minute and said you know that's right i don't think he is called to pastoral ministry because here's the thing most pastors and and we're going so we'll talk about youth pastors most youth youth pastors burn out within 18 months most senior pastors burn out within three years and the reason I think is because we have a lot of people that are coming up and thinking pastors a cool place to be and they don't realize that the calling of a pastor is very different so I'll give you this example so four years ago we started looking for a pastor right so um, when transition I took over for Jeff we officially started looking for a new pastor about four years ago and in that time from then till we hired tony we probably accept or not accepted but we got about 200 plus applications all right now if we just discount cuz we got a lot of people from outside the us so if we discount all of those i would say about 80% or more were not called to the ministry to what we call vocational ministry right every believer is called to ministry. Right? Amen? Right? Okay. But vocational ministry is different. That's where you, you get paid to do ministry. Which is, i got to say, one of the sweetest gigs in the world. Because you get to be paid to help people. You get paid to preach God's word. I mean, that is just, it's a great gift of God. But I'll tell you this. I was telling, um, I was speaking to Brett, I think it was um, Brett, Bert. Bert, um, and today, and I was telling because he asked me about the, the sabbatical, and I, one of the things you have to understand about in the senior pastor position is that most people deal with one crisis at a time in their life, right? Like you deal with a crisis and you're dealing with that crisis. It may take months, years, but you're dealing with this major crisis, right? In the senior pastor position, especially the winter time here, I deal with a crisis at least two to three times a week. All right. So and then I just go from one crisis to the next crisis, to the next crisis, to the next crisis. So that's why it's what we call emotionally draining. That's why so many pastors, they burn out, because the calling of pastors is not the calling. Let me be frank with you, is not a calling to preach. The calling of a pastor is not a calling to do Bible studies. The calling of a pastor is to love God's church. Love it so much that you experience God's love. So you understand, you have to understand, to, love, to be a pastor is to love God's church to the point where God takes you and says, let me show you how much I love it. And it takes you in some dark places in a sense of the hurt And the pain of people. And most people, if they're not called, they burn out. Because they try to do it in their own strength. They don't realize you can't. And so if you see these pastors that are in their positions for 10, 15, 20 years, you know why? Because they are called. And they are living out that call. But there are more than just pastoral calls. You can be called to a myriad of things. Some people are called to teach, like actual teachers in schools. Some people are called to be housewives. Some people are called to, we have presents and kings, to janitors. You know, some of the coolest stories I like to hear is of a janitor that's been there for 30 years, and he retires, and they throw this huge, huge party for them. Why? They were a janitor. Because they were fulfilling their call. And as believers, our call is even more than that. We are not just in positions, teachers. We're not just in positions of janitors. Because, hey, that's a good job. We're there because God loves people. And I want to use the giftings God has given me to love people in that position. And so, so many people don't realize their callings because a calling is a combination of obedience... The work of the Holy Spirit and the giftings God has given us lived out. And so today we're going to be talking about callings, all right? We're going to be looking at someone who did their calling and someone who didn't. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Judges chapter 4. We're going to read the entirety of chapter 4. We're not going to read chapter 5. because So guess what homework is this week? Read chapter 5, chapter 4 and 5, all right? Okay, because it's the song. It's a recap of what we read, all right? So, but as we get into Judges 1, 4-1, uh, uh, let's talk about where we're at. Um, so, we're going to start connecting these bigger pieces of the, of the book we're studying, okay? So, in the first week, in chapters 1 and 2, we get the overarching theme, right? What's the overarching theme? Without looking at the board. What? Yeah. Now, you all looked at the board, so you all, you're all going to cheat if you say it. Right. It's the overarching theme is that even though Israel turns their back on God, God will not turn his back on Israel. That's that's the microcosm theme and the overarching theme of the Holy Scripture is God doesn't turn his back on sinful man. OK, so judges is a microcosm. It shows you of the example of a bigger thing that's going on in Scripture. So you could just take Judges, and you can know that God is a faithful God just from Judges, and you can apply that to all of Scripture. It's just that example of God saying, okay, you're my people, and you mess up all the time. I still love you. I'm still going to save you when you turn and call on me. So that's Judges in a nutshell. All right? So in week two, we started connecting all these things. Week two and three, we start moving, and we start seeing the obedient judges. Um, We see Othniel, we see Iha, we see Shamgar, right? We see these judges, and they're obedient judges who use their giftings to do what God told them to do, right? And so what we talked about last week is that we need to be obedient, right? We need to utilize those gifts, and we need to walk in the Holy Spirit's power, right? So then what comes from that is calling. That's what we're talking about this week. But you see this is this is the thing. When we are obedient, when we utilize those gifts, when we walk in the spirit, we will fulfill our calling. That's how simple it is. And in the first 3 the chapters 3, 4 and 5, we see all of this all tied up together. But what we start seeing is the first two the first Three judges are really good. They do what they're supposed to. They're obedient. They do this stuff. But in chapter 4, moving forward, we start seeing the breakdown of people not doing these things, and then we see the ramifications of that. And this is something that I've been asked times: why does God allow certain things? God allows certain things because people do these certain things, or they don't do these certain things. And so God honors our decisions. In Israel, they decide to turn against them, so what is, God honors that decision. He says, okay, then this happens. This is the consequence. But when we do what God calls us to in obedience, He honors that as well. And we'll see that today. All right? So let's look at Judges chapter 4. And we're just going to read through it, okay? So again, we've got some good words in here. They're going to be perfectly pronounced. All right. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after died, And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin king of Canaan, who, re, re, uh, who reigned in, I can't even say the English words, man. Yeah, we're not even to the Hebrew word yet, and I can't say it. Okay. Who reigned in Hazer, and command, the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth. Don't say it for me because you'll mess me up. Hagoim then the people of Israel cried out for the cried out for the Lord for help, for he had anyone else want to read? Uh, for he had nine hundred chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for twenty years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak the son of Abinadab. And Kedet, from Kadesh, Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Get, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking ten thousand from the people of Naphtali and from the and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, "I will surely go with you, nevertheless, the road on which you are going will lead, not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera uh, into the hand of a woman." Then Deborah arose and went to, with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zeboam Zebul- Zbul- and Nephitili to Kadesh, and ten thousand men went up at his hills, and Deborah went up with him Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zanamim, Zen, which is near Kadesh. When Cicero was told that Barak, the son of Abinam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Cicero called out to his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were, who were with him, from Herosheth into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots, and the army of Herosheth Hagoim, and all of the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug, and he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say, No. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went to her tent, and, lay, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin the king of Canaan before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin the king of Canaan until they destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. Whew, man. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't too bad. You know what's funny is I have all the like the pronunciations right here. Othniel you know, the first week we talked about Ehud, then Shemgar, and now we're talking about in the blue Deborah and Barak. Okay, so they're real close to Ehud. All right, so that's where we're that's where we're at as far as the the locale. All right, so it's real close. That's why Ehud is mentioned. After Ehud comes this. All right, so in verse one, starting from verse one, we have this understanding that. Um, Israel's back in their cycle, right? They have sinned. They are in captivity. And we're told about Jabin. And Jabin is this this guy that he's he's worse than all the kings before him. In the first one, you have the Mesopotamian king, this king from the outside. And this makes sense, right? That God would use this outside king. He comes in and he conquers. But then what we start seeing in the second king is now... Israel is experiencing their own response of sin, right? So because of, Lot's, because of Abraham's sin, bringing Lot along, what we talked about last week, what happens is then you have the Moabite king. And the Moabite king comes, and that is a result of Israel's past sin. Jabin is the result of Israel's present sin, Because if we go back into Joshua, they were supposed to, remember, they were supposed to send out, right, the people of Canaan, right? They're supposed to kick them out of the land. Did they do that? No. And so Jabin is a result of their own sin. And so what's happening is it's getting closer and closer, right? It's getting closer and closer to them. And so you have this situation where you have these consequences of different sin, and they're in the roots type of stuff. And so now you have all this situation. And so we start going through this. And we go from that. And then in verse 4, we're introduced to Deborah. And Deborah is a unique person within this. Because Deborah is the only one female judge that's ever talked about. Within anything. Within the entire book of Judges. The only female that's a judge. But what's interesting is... That's not the focus of who she is in this, in this story. In fact, the judge that she is is not the same as the judge that the rest of the judges are. She's a judge that's basing on moral, moral decisions. So, she's a prophetess first who is now making judgments about situations. And she has a little area, they call it Deborah's, um, the Palm of Deborah. And she's there and they would bring disputes. We actually see this back in Exodus, um, back in Exodus 19, where Jethro comes to um, comes to Moses and says, "Hey, you're doing all this judging all the time. You need to make other judges, people that are in lower courts, if you want to think about it like that." So, if you think about how our court, court system works, right? You go to court and then you can appeal that decision, and you can appeal, and then you can appeal, and it goes higher and higher. And then, what's at the top of our court system? Supreme Court, right? So you can think of it like this. In Jerusalem, you have the Supreme Court, which was Moses. And then you have lesser courts. And Deborah would be somewhere in there. Okay? But she's acting. Her main, goal, her main role is prophetess, who judges. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The rest of the judges are very distinct because they are military judges. Othniel goes the war ehud goes the war barak goes the war right we're, we're not there yet but gideon all right these other judges they're military and that's what the judge is right and so we go back into our definition of a judge which is more of a regional governor who's supposed to be dealing with these regional issues and so though deborah judges she's not a judge does that make sense Okay. But she's the, she's the only female one that's connected with judging within the book of Judges, yeah. But what we see, though, is she is doing the role of a prophet. Okay? And we see this in a couple of situations. We see it when she calls Barak. She doesn't, and what's interesting, it says she summons him. It's not, hey, Barak, or I'm coming to you. No, it's you get here because God has something to say to you. And then she tells him, she plays the role of the prophet, right? She tells him, this is what God has said. Why haven't you fulfilled it? And when she says it, she says, hasn't God said? What that's saying is, God had already spoken to Barak and he's in disobedience. So now the prophet's job, see we always think of prophets as people that prophesy about the future. The main Goal or the main role. Sorry. The main role of a prophet is not prophecy. It's get back to God. You start reading through the prophets. There's prophetic word. Future stuff. But most of it's. You need to follow God. You need to get back to his covenant relationship. Or. And then the prophetic word comes. So it's always a calling back. To what God has said. And we see the third part of her being a prophetess in this. Because you haven't, he says, I'm not going to go unless you come with me, Deborah. She says, okay, because you have done this, here's the prophetic word. The glory that God was intended for you to experience is now going to go to a woman. Right? That's the prophetic word. But it was first, you better do what God says. Does that make sense? Are we good so far? And this isn't unique. Okay, when we we talk about prophetesses, it's not unique. You have Miriam. Okay, you have. I'll, I'll give you these references if you want to. You have Miriam in Exodus fifteen; she's a prophetess. You have uh, it's just an unnamed woman, but it's Isaiah eight three. You have Huldah uh, Hulda in Second Kings twenty two, and you have Anna in Matthew um, two three two thirty six. So those are just some of the. Places. There's others, but so women as prophetesses were very common. Okay? And so what she's doing, she's fulfilling that role. And this shouldn't surprise us because Joel talked about this, and then in Acts two, right, in Acts two we actually have this whole situation where Peter is talking to the the Hebrews, to the Israelites, and he mentions Joel. So in Acts chapter two you get this. Um, He says, and in the last days, he's just quoting, and in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. All right. So women prophesy. That's just a it's a part of God's economy. So when Deborah does it, it's not out of the usual. All right. But I want to just take a sidestep for a second this passage has been used, I think, irresponsibly and wrong. In fact, I was told one time that the whole purpose of this passage is to let us know that when a man doesn't step up, he'll send a woman, which I think is wrong because what was going on before Barack didn't step up? Deborah was doing her job, right? Deborah was already fulfilling the role of a prophetess, doing what God had called her to, even before Barak. And then what happens with Barak? She fulfills her role, takes him to task, right? Why didn't you do what God told you to do? So she's fulfilling her, her role. One, of the misconception is Deborah gets the, the glory. But if you read what we just read, where does Deborah get the glory that was intended for Barak? She never does. There's another woman that gets that. And we'll talk about her in a little bit. But Deborah doesn't get the glory that was intended for Barak. But she fulfilled her role. And what this is used for, and a couple weeks ago I told you about what the alliance... um, was going through with women in ministry. Okay. Wherever you fall on that. That doesn't matter. Remember how we talked about misuse of scripture. Using Deborah. To talk about women in ministry. In the sense of. And this is where it changes. We can, talk, we can use Deborah for the. Talking about women in ministry. What we can't do. Is then apply that to eldership. Local church eldership. Why? Because the role of a prophet or a prophetess is not the same as an elder in the local church. In fact, you can't even do that with the book of Judges. A judge, their role is not, you cannot equate it to an elder in a local church. So what you're doing is you're grabbing a story and using it one of two ways because both sides use this. And they manipulate that point to make their point and say, see, this is why or why not women can be elders. And I think that's a misuse of the Scriptures. Because you know what? And I think it's, it's downgrading Deborah. Either way you do that. Because Deborah was doing what God called her to. She was a prophetess of God doing her role. And we see her honored in the Scriptures because of that. Okay? Okay so that's my market says okay that's your soapbox get off all right so um i just really i just get really upset with this passage being misused all right so let's talk about barack barack is the one that's supposed to be the judge okay he's the intended judge in this situation the one that judges is working on the militaristic judge okay he's the one you know how we know that because scripture tells us that in other places two other places where Barak is mentioned within the other judges. You have First Samuel chapter, um, chapter 12, and this is what it says of First Samuel. It says, And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. So this is scripture saying, here's a list of some of the judges that did work. Who's mentioned there? Barak. But Deborah isn't. Does that make sense? So that tells us who's the intended judge. But it's not just there. In Hebrews, what we call the faith chapter. Right? Hebrews 11.32, this is what it reads. And what more shall I say? For the time would, would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. So you can say Deborah's included there because she's a part of what? The prophet's. She's a prophetess, but she's not named in the judges. That's Gideon. That's Samson. All right. So the intent here is that Barak is supposed to be a judge. What have we seen so far from the judges? Obedience. Right. They're called. They do. What do we see with Barak? Disobedience. Disobedience. Yeah, he's the disobedient one. We start seeing Barak is the crack in the judge's role. That's why the first three are the good ones. Everything that follows gets worse and worse. And it all starts with this one thing, disobedience. That's where it all starts. Why was the Moab king even there? Because of the disobedience of Abraham. Why are they in their situation? Because they're disobedience against the covenant of God. It all starts. All sin starts with disobedience. Adam and Eve. It wasn't the the fruit that was the problem. They disobeyed. That was the first thing. And so disobedience begins sin. Like that's where we catapult into it. And so go back to Barak. So you have Barak. Barak. And he's got this whole, this whole thing. I'm not going to do it, Deborah, um, unless you come and hold my hand. Now, I can understand that, right? I've been approached several times, Pastor, will you be with me? Can you come with me in this situation? I understand wanting to have someone that you feel is a spiritual influence in your life. I understand that completely. But you know what Deborah said to her, said to him? Did not God say that He was going to give Sisera into your hand? That's a question of what do you need? Do you need man to be with you? Or do you need God to be with you? That's the issue that Deborah's dealing with Barak. Listen, if you have God, you have everything. You don't need pastor. You don't need spiritual leaders. Those are good for helping. You need Jesus. You need the work of the Holy Spirit. You need your Father who's in heaven. That's what you need. All this is icing. What you need is the cake. Alright? Once you have the cake, you have everything. Alright? But Barack needed his icing with his cake. And that's the issue. And so Deborah says, and you have to understand, She is giving him a derogatory thing. Fine, I'll go with you, but the glory that God had for you is going to a woman. You know why it's a woman? Because women weren't supposed to be on the battlefield. Plain and simple. So what she's saying is, someone that's not supposed to be there, someone, you're supposed to be there, Barak, but someone who's not supposed to be there, they're going to get the glory that God intended for you like that that is the thing and so what do we see we see jael she's the un, i like to say she's the uncalled housewife cuz she's taking care of her tent right she's not on the battlefield she's doing her calling right and you can't downplay the calling of a mother Alright? so she's doing her calling she's in her world she is supposed to take care of this area, and it's her tent, it's her home, and she's doing just that. And then the war comes to her. You know, there's a um, a great line in the I think it's the Two Towers. Alright, so J.R.L. Tolkien's Two Towers where um, the Rohan, Rohan people um, are there, and you have Aragon, and you have the I can't remember the girl's name, but she's like the princess of Rohan, right? And she's practicing with her sword. And Aragorn goes, whoa, you know, you're pretty good. This is a paraphrase. pretty good with that sword. And she goes, um, the women of Rohan er, early on learn that those that don't wield swords can still die on them, right? Because battles don't just hang out in battlefields. They come to the doorstep sometimes. And so here's JL. The battle comes to her. And man, this girl's smart. Alright? you guys got to see the details here. The guy comes in. Think about this. You ever been out and just like sweating? None of you have done that because you don't live in quartzite, Right? You're just, I mean, you work out or something. You're just sweating. What's the best thing for someone who's sweating? A rug on top of you. Like, that's the best thing, right? right? Get something super heavy, super wooly on top of you. That's going to help you cool down, yeah. right? But that's what J.L. does. She's like, this guy, not a good guy. I'm going to put this rug on top of him. Oh, it's to hide you. No, it's to overheat him. And then he asks, I want some water. So what, do you, what does she give him? Milk. Milk. You ever drink milk when you're just dying of thirst? That doesn't help. But you know what it does do? Puts you to sleep. And that's what happens. Here's this big guy, you know, elite, you know, probably bigger than jail. She does all these things, very intelligent, puts him asleep, and then grabs a tent peg. And this, you know, we talk about, first there's Ehud and stabbing the guy, and his his poop falls out. <laughs> now we get this one, the... Tent peg to the temple. And it's not just in the temple, it's driven in all the way into the ground. Like, I mean, this is graphic stuff. But here's, you know, well, Cicero got it. Um, but this is the thing. And so, but she does all these things. This is who Barack was supposed to be. He was supposed to be the warrior on the battlefield. That, that. Battle should have never came to Jael's tent. When we talk about the first sin, Eve shouldn't have been in that situation. Because Adam should have been right there between the serpent and Eve. One of the first sins is, is not just the eating, but it's the, the man not doing his job. And now we see that thing repeated in Barak. And I say Barak, I, as I've thought about, he's a lot like Jonah Jonah is a guy that goes that's called by God to go do a, a job and Jonah says no I'm going to go do something else. Barack is a guy that's called to do a job and Barack says nope I'm going to go do something else. But you know what both of them were still used by God. Both of them God's plans still worked out. You know Why? Because God is greater than us. And no matter what sinful man does, God's plans will always work. And so, in this whole situation, you have God saying, Brock, I'm giving you the opportunity to share in my glory. And Brock says, no, thank you. And he says, fine, then I'll give it to someone that's unsuspecting, but is willing to do what needs to be done. Jail. And so then, if you fast forward to chapter 5, at the very end, in verses 24 through 27, you get Jael is, the, is the, cres- the crescendo of that song. She's the one that defeated, yeah, the armies beat them down, but Jael is the one that defeated Sisera. And then, but one thing that people will skip over is right at the beginning of the song. It talks about how there was problems during Shamgar's time. That's that remember that that good judge guess who's right underneath him? Jael. She's put up there with Shamgar. She's getting all this glory that should have been Barak's, but because he was disobedient, someone who was obedient did it. Isn't that crazy? This is, I, this is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Because it shows us, look, if you do your calling, Deborah, she did her calling. Right? She fulfilled what God had for her to do. And we're still talking about her as the hero of the story. Jael did what God called. She's the hero of the story. Barak, idiot i mean he the disobedient one is the one that we rail against it's the obedient ones that the scriptures lift up even though they're never mentioned again in scripture you realize that deborah is never mentioned again jail is never mentioned again and barack is only mentioned because he was a judge He's with the other judge. He's you know who's also mentioned in the, those things? Samson. When we get there, you're going to say, man, this guy's an idiot. Because he is. But that's what we're talking about is calling. When we're obedient to fulfill the call of God, God has riches and blessings that He wants to pour out. Not in the sense of, like, what, what did jail get in here? Because when we think of riches and blessings, what do we think of? Cash, Right? But what does Jael get? What's the blessing she gets? She's a moralized in song. Her, her notoriety went everywhere. God has desires to pour out blessing on his people. But that only comes through obedience. And sometimes that blessing has to go through a little pain and suffering. You now We talk about the, the 12 disciples, the apostles, right? While they were after Jesus' death, how they do with the blessing. They got to see thousands upon thousands come to know Jesus. And they got to be crucified and boiled in oil and filleted. But now they have their blessing. We talk about going to a memorial of believers, they have their blessing. And it's a greater blessing than any of us could imagine. But it all starts with. Obedience. That's where it starts. It's saying, God, you said this, I'm going to do just that. Everything else doesn't matter. You said it, I'm going to do it. All I need is you. I don't need a spiritual advisor. I don't need someone to hold my hand. God, you said it, I'm going to do it. We need to walk in obedience. And it's that break of obedience that we see in Barack. And so, Yeah. I think the challenge is all that's left. Very simple. Read Judges four through five, right? Because we're going to be in Judges six next week. But you need read the song because it is a recap of like the the battle part. But recognize where JL is. Recognize Deborah. What her part in the song is. Recognize these these little details, right? And then. As you're doing that, go before God and say, God, what's the calling? If you don't know, God, what's my calling right here? You know, how many of you are retired? Okay, God has purpose in your retirement. Okay, Moses, 80 years old, became the leader of Israel. Okay, anyone in here 80? No? Okay, so guess what? Your calling might just be a couple years away right? God might go, hey, you know what? I got a new chapter in your life. But that's the thing. God, what's my calling? What do you have for me in this moment? It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're the the mom or the kid or you're just in this spot of, I have no idea what's going on. God has purpose and He's saying, come with me. And so, Lord, what's my calling in this moment? What do you have for me? How can I be obedient? That's my challenge for you this week, is to seek the calling of God. But here's the thing. If you do, you can't say, maybe not that. You have to have, you say it, Lord, I will do it. All right. So don't come to me and say, you know, God's telling me this. Jeremiah, what's your thoughts? Because you know what my thoughts are? God said. Do it. <laughs> okay, let's do the Nike slogan, slogan. All right, just do it. All right, is that, is that good? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to be in your word. Thank you for those that came before us who are obedient like Deborah and Jael. Lord, help us to walk in your obedience Lord I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself that we would do just that That this week that we would go before you that we would cry out to you and we would read your word and you would reveal that calling if we don't have any idea of what that is and if we do Lord that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to accomplish what you would have us do and so Lord don't let us go on our own way help us to follow you wherever we go ask this in your son's name Amen.